humanities and social sciences. In this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Gill, who is going to be discussing the cultures of thinking routines, what they are, and how you can integrate them in your Haas classroom. Okay, I'm joined in this episode by Ryan Gill. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Marco. I'm really excited about this episode, um, looking at cultures of thinking. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great concept that I think uh, a lot of people are really going to get a lot out of. Um, but before we do, um, try and get to know you a little bit more. Who are you and what do you do in education? Well, as Marco said, my name is Ryan Gill. I am currently the head of teaching and learning in the senior school at Masada College in St. Ives in Sydney. I've been working there for the last eight years and certainly for the last decade at Masada, we've been developing a, a culture of thinking as Marco alluded to there. So it'd be interesting to have a chat about what that is and how that really fits into um, my belief set in terms of the way in which I approach teaching and learning, but then lead teachers at Masada and increasingly around the country um, and beyond um, in developing that in their own practice. And, uh, and what do you teach, Ryan? What are you, uh, how are you involved in Haas? Yeah, so I, um, for my whole career, I've been a passionate geography and, um, and more recently a society and culture teacher, um, really interested in how these ideas work in a whole range of subject areas. And certainly I believe they do, but um, thinking in this particular sense in how I can support humanities teachers um, who are just as passionate as I am in developing their subject area. It'd be awesome to see how cultures of thinking can work in that context. Okay, now um, before we look at some specific strategies of uh, how teachers can implement uh, cultures of thinking in their uh, in their Hass classroom, can you give us a um, an overview of what exactly cultures of thinking is? Marco, it's probably the number one question. Um, it's it's it is easy in some ways to be able to encapsulate. Um, I'll share with you um, the definition that that comes from the team at Harvard's Project Zero. Um, Graduate School of Education um, team, um, but it, in in some ways it, it's it's far more nuanced than just a definition that I can share with you. So it is worth unpacking a little bit in the time that we have today, but also um, really thinking about um, how you can move some of these ideas from perhaps just a, an activity that we might do within the classroom to something that, as the name suggests, cultures of thinking. It becomes a real cultural shift within your classroom, not um, throwing out everything that you might uh, be currently um, doing within your classroom, but really starting to think about how you can create a culture of thinking. So the team at Harvard's Graduate School of Education, Project Zero, um, Project Zero, by the way, is a, is a, a team of passionate educators, um, started about 50 years ago, just actually this year, they celebrated their 50th anniversary. And um, a number of different projects have then come out of that. And one of those projects is Cultures of Thinking, and another one is Making Thinking Visible. It may be familiar to some of your listeners. And um, the team there... Um, which includes people like Ron Richard, Mark Church, and Karen Morrison, um, Shari Tishman, a whole range of other amazing, incredible educators that were just noticing what was happening within classrooms. They were they were visiting a number of classrooms, particularly um, in the states, but around the world too. 
And they were they were interested in what was happening within those classrooms to promote thinking, to um, to value thinking within students' minds, to make thinking visible and to actively promote thinking as part of the regular and day-to-day activity that was happening um, within that within that environment for all group members, um, which includes the teacher. The teacher, I feel, is a really important part in building a culture of thinking. They were interested in how a group's collective thinking as well as the individual thinking could promote um, this experience, this day-to-day experience for all group members. So in a, in a way, if we're kind of putting in a nutshell, if we're trying to encapsulate what a, what a culture of thinking actually is, it's a place where a group's collective as well as individual thinking is valued, it's visible, and it's actively promoted as part of the regular and day-to-day experience of all group members. Um, Hopefully that gives you some idea, but again, like I said, it's heavily nuanced, so difficult to be able to encapsulate um, without exploring further. You know, that, that's a fantastic, um, I wouldn't call it a definition. As you said, it, it's not really a definition, but it's really a, a really uh, good unpacking of the, um, of the concept there. Now, do you get a lot of confusion with people getting um, making thinking visible with Hattie's visible learning, you know, visible thinking and visible learning at all? Or is it try, hard to sort of get people to think, no, it's not the work of Hattie, this is something different? It is, yeah. It's interesting. Um, just a little anecdote there. We, we run... Um, various courses, professional learning courses. We've been running those over the last couple of years, two to three years, actually, at Masada. We have lots of teachers. We've had over 250 teachers join us on those courses. And one of the interactions that I had with one teacher walking through the door as she arrived on the campus, she said, I'm really passionate about these ideas. She said, I'm really interested in visible learning. I've learned so much about Hattie. And it was that awkward moment where I realized that this teacher has come um, to learn about um, uh, visible learning. And I, I said to her immediately, "It's just, so you're, I'm absolutely upfront. It isn't visible learning. Um, there are certainly some parallels that we, that we may draw um, but what one of the key differences um, I would suggest, and I know that uh, Ron Richard has, 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 has talked about this um, in a number of different um, in a number of different places, and one of the key the key areas that I, I see a distinction is that visible thinking is is really about this notion that we can develop dispositions, thinking dispositions within our students. Dispositions that if we if we were to ask ourselves, what do we want our students to be like when they are adults? What thinking dispositions do we want to inculcate within our classrooms and schools so that it's way beyond any external you know, test examination here in New South Wales, we have the higher school certificate. Um, but not it, this is not a, a program, some kind of intervention that we're putting in place that's going to allow us to, um, to merely do better at some kind of external test or examination point, assessment point. It's developing thinking dispositions that we want our children to have for um, for the rest of their lives so that they become part of who they are. And um, again, I can certainly talk more to some of those if we, if we were to explore today. Yeah. Now, Ryan, um, how and why did you actually get involved with this, with this cultures and think, uh, cultures of thinking um, um, idea? Are we, we just sort of, 
in a class one day and thought there's going to be a, a better way to get students thinking? Or did you come across this in some readings you were doing and thought, oh, I want to explore this? Or how, did, how and why did you get involved? Yeah, great question. I, I actually, I started off my teaching career in the UK. Um, you might recognize there's a British accent in there somewhere still. But um, I, I was really fortunate to attend for my teacher uh, training in the UK, um, Newcastle-upon-Tyne University. And the team there, which includes Rachel Lofthouse, Dr. Rachel Lofthouse and um, David Leet, um, were interested in, um, in thinking skills, um, thinking processes, metacognition, bridging, this, all of these concepts that at the time were, were quite new to education, but again, were just being noticed in classrooms that really wanted to promote thinking. Um, and and being a geography teacher, a training to be a geography teacher, I was just so fortunate to be surrounded by people like Rachel Lofthouse, where um, whereby she she was actually one of the authors, um, a teacher um, of of a book, um, which if it isn't still in publication, it certainly should be. It was called Thinking Through Geography, and then there was a whole series of other titles: Thinking Through History, Thinking Through Mathematics, Thinking Through Science, and in there there was just a whole range of um, they, I mean, they called them um, um, just thinking skills, thinking activities that they they would um, lead the teacher through a series of steps, a three series of stages, and all of the time there would be reflection and metacognition at the heart of of what they they were trying to promote within their work. So then, when I I moved to Australia, as I said, almost eight years ago now, um, and was just so, I suppose, lucky, fortunate. Um, to have an interview at Masada College and just a couple of years prior to that they had started to develop um, a culture of thinking it was very early days for the school um, but it was just an, a natural affinity with with what I had experienced in the UK and then in various schools that I've worked um, so wasn't that I sought out Masada in any way, but was just fortunate. Went to the interview and was talking about a number of different things. And it was certainly one of those interviews that I hadn't prepared for. I got a call, I think it was less than 12 hours prior. Wasn't very prepared at all, but again, just a natural fit. So sometimes um, it's not always good judgment. It's a bit of luck in there as well. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a, a bit of a sidestep away from our uh, what we're going to be talking about for a second. Um, I've noticed, particularly on Twitter, um, and even just watching um, uh, TV shows that aren't particularly informative, they're more just sort of what you call junk TV. But geography seems to be, or geography is quite big in the UK. In, in here in Australia, kids don't really like geography that much, and they don't really. But I've noticed from a lot of um, a lot of people I interact with on Twitter and a lot of movies and TV shows you watch that are based in the UK. Am I right in saying that geography is quite a big subject over there? It, it certainly is, Marco. Um, it it it, never, it wasn't always. Um, there were some um, quite significant shifts in government policy, which meant that humanities um, came to the forefront um, of subject choice, subject election. Um, uh, so it meant that more students were studying um, humanities. But I certainly think there has been, um, um, regardless of whether there was that shift or not, I think there has been a shift in perception of what um, subjects like geography, history um, can do for um, broadening perspectives of young minds. And we're thinking about um, you know, the subject areas 
that matter most um, to society now. And certainly we know that um, we, uh, we need to surround our students with an, an intellectual world which allows them to delve deeper into some of those important um, subject areas. And I, I wonder whether we, we as educators can sometimes be a part of um, of, of not giving the, 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 the value and not placing the value into some of these really important um, subject areas and perhaps being a little bit more transactionary with them because I'm kind of sending those messages to our students. Um, there might be a whole lot of reasons for that, as granted, but um, certainly um, there's been a, a, certainly a shift within the UK in how important some of those subjects are. And um, I, I certainly hope that we can see that shift here too. Yeah, it, um, I really hope so too. Sorry to sort of deviate like that and put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, absolutely fine, yeah. Um, so, look, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting in on your masterclass at the Geography Teachers Association of New South Wales um, conference on cultures of thinking in the geography classroom, and I was blown away. Um, firstly, well, uh, very well done, and it was a great, uh, great session, so thank you very much. Thank you. Um, one thing I noticed was a, a lot of the strategies you were talking through, I, you know, it, it, they're things that I've probably been doing for years in the classroom but never really associated with this is a part of the culture of thinking uh, routine. Um, you know, some strategies think, okay, I'm going to do this today, but I never really explicitly thought, oh, this is from this sort of concept. Um, is, is that something you're finding as well, that a lot of these strategies you're putting in, that they're not, they're not brand new, but they're just trying to make things a little bit better. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the team would ever suggest. Um, I've heard Ron Richard, Mark Church, and, and Karen Morrison talk about this. They talk about this in their book, "Making Thinking Visible," um, and creating cultures of thinking. They, they, what they were doing was noticing the times when they were observing classroom practice where teachers were promoting thinking and valuing thinking um, and making thinking visible. And then they, they were able to place names um, around some of those thinking moves that those teachers were, that were making. So I, I don't think um, it, it, it's ever been a case where these have been invented by the team at Harvard. It was really just, um, noticing and naming the thinking moves that teachers were making, and um, I suppose I suppose that the shift comes when um, I'm sure we'll get into the notion of a of a thinking routine, um, which is a big part. And some people will be some of your listeners will be aware of thinking routines, which comes from the work um, of making thinking visible. Um, I suppose that at the heart of those thinking routines is the the thinking moves which lie behind them. So, so perhaps lots of teachers have, have used something like a think pair share, which sometimes is attributed to cultures of thinking um, quite loosely in, in some ways. Um, they may have used a think pair share, but then never really understood what, what lay behind that as a, as a routine. And whereas maybe another thinking routine, and as I said, we can explore some of them in greater depth, um, something like perhaps see, think, wonder, which I'm sure some of your listeners will be uh, familiar with. There's a really um, deep 
rich move that you can make behind each of those moves, see, think, and wonder. So whereas you might have just had your students think, pair up, and share what they understood, there's a real nuance behind something like see, think, wonder that perhaps isn't necessarily understood by just reading it in some kind of, you know, kind of teacher reference manual. I'm seeing a lot more references to thinking routines there. So heavily nuanced and worth, as I said, unpacking what is actually lying behind some of those thinking moves within the routine. Okay, so let, let's now unpack some of these um, and see if we can link them to some um, to some subjects to, to help the, the listeners out who are after some practical um, strategies they can implement in their classroom. Um, now, as you said, you're, you're particularly a geography and a, and a society and culture teacher. Um, so let's. Um, I'm happy to stick with those two, or would you like to venture out and offer some strategies for other um, HAS HSIE subjects? Or yeah, I mean, absolutely. As you said, one of the um, one of the features of the the Geography Teachers Association, some of those were geography, society, and culture examples. So it may be interesting for your listeners to share um, for Tahima share what um, I applied there. Yes, yes, that'll be great. Um, so let, look, let's start with um, with the one you did mention at the uh, at the conference, which was um, surrounding a stimulus picture you gave students, uh, particularly in a history classroom. I believe it was. It was actually geography. Yeah, a oh, geography classroom. Sorry, it was the image of um, the image of um, uh, women holding some uh, some portraits. I believe it was absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I, I suppose, you know, what many teachers um, would start with is the amazing content that they've already got at their fingertips, that those, those visuals, that reading, that, you know, the article, the newspaper clipping, the, um, uh, the, the newspaper article, all of the resources that we currently have to hand. And it was actually one of the participants of that particular session she came up to me after the presentation and she said you know where do you source all of these these images and things like that and I said I wonder whether you actually have these already yourself it might not be the particular image that I use but I'm sure you've got really provocative imagery or text or you know even just sometimes it can be mundane it doesn't have to be super provocative it works I think it works of course, it engages students if it, it has something um, which they can really get their teeth into. Um, but really, these routines are applicable to lots of different content. Um, any subject area, as you said, it could be we could be exploring any subject area here. But lying behind these thinking routines are the are the thinking moves that you would like to um, your students to make. Um, and that's a that's a key distinction. Um, if your listeners want to Google um, before we delve into an example, um, just thinking routines or visible thinking. Uh, if you want to Google um, maybe thinking routines matrix, that will um, bring up just a selection of of some of the more um, well known thinking routines. I would certainly advise reading making thinking visible and creating cultures of thinking. But there's there's lots of examples online too. Um, so the example that I, I shared, um, there of a, of a thinking routine was using the content, um, within my, um, year 11 geography class. 
And there we studied um, in the population topic um, of our prelim unit, um, we looked at the one-child policy. Um, obviously, quite different now. It's changed in uh, in very recent years and months. Um, but we were looking at population policies. And really, to get to the heart of some of those policies, we as geographers, we like to think about what are the changes in, in people and places that um, these policies are affecting. So I um, just, as I did within the, the conference, and that's a, um, it's a big part of trying to get teachers engaged with some of these ideas, I, I placed the participants of the conference, of the masterclass, um, in, the, in the position of students. I wanted the participants to act and, and react as students. So I, I placed an image up on the screen. And as you said, it was a number of um, what appeared to be um, um, upset, um, grieving, perhaps, um, women, and they were holding portraits um, of young people. And I, I didn't actually even say that. The, the move that I wanted to make there was have the participants and the students, I, I want my students um, to, to notice what is happening within that particular stimulus. It could have equally been a reading or anything like that. I just, I just wanted them to have something that they could interact with. And I wanted them to see things. So what do they see within that particular image? And holding them within that C was really important, that C stage of the, of the thinking routine was really important to me as a teacher. I want them to be able to separate out what they can see and notice from what they can interpret or infer, which is the think stage of see, think, wonder. But before we give our students the gift of being able to infer, we really want to hold them in as much detail as we possibly can, noticing just even the smallest of details, making um, one another um, within that classroom space aware of some, some perhaps important detail, but perhaps not. We want to create this curious classroom culture where students are noticing things that as another student may not have even noticed it. it like I said, it could be an insignificant detail but it's creating this curiosity within our, within our students so that when we eventually move them to the stage of the thinking routine, see, think, wonder, just as I did with the teachers at the masterclass there, they're ready to um, make some inference and some interpretation. But this time they've, they've got all of this evidence or perhaps um, sometimes too much evidence that they've, they've, withdraw, they've drawn out of the stimulus. Um, they have to separate out what's now important to be able to make some inferences. But now what they're doing is reasoning with evidence. They're reasoning with evidence that they've drawn from the stimulus. And my goodness, that once they've got some, um, some interpretation, they're going to have a whole lot of questions. So the routine see, think, wonder then allows for students to see, notice, to make some inference interpretation, but then Again, a further gift to our students. They're able to then question, wonder about things. It's often the stage that we, we don't allow our students um, to, to, to just wonder, to ask questions. 
They've got all of these incredible questions that I've never as a teacher even thought about. I've never, some of the interpretations that came out of that masterclass, I'd, I'd never heard. But a gift to me as a teacher that I'm part of it. I'm part of a learn, that learning experience. I've never noticed some of those details. I've never heard some of those interpretations. I had some of those questions. And now we've got all of these interpretations and questions. So I've got the students. And as we saw there in the masterclass, we've got these teachers acting as students, literally holding out. I want to know more about this stimulus. What, you know, what, what's next? What do I need um, to know um, from, from looking and thinking about these and asking all of these questions? What an amazing opportunity um, to give to our teachers to see that in action, but um, to see how they can then recreate that for their students um, is, is really powerful. And look, and look, being in that room, hearing all those different interpretations of the picture was amazing. I had my own interpretation. I was a bit too scared to put my hand up and, uh, and have a go, but um, there are... Uh, we had 80, 80 people within that room, so getting well, exactly. interaction was, uh, was tricky. But um, there were some, some interpretations that I thought, wow, these... These are so the, the the fact that people are able to draw this inference from that image, whether it be right or wrong, but they were able to do it just from looking at a picture. That's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and what was what was really powerful was that actually the the answer was in was in that room. It really was, and I'm I'm really just waiting as a teacher um, to to just have some cue. You know, it was something just there that I could then be provided with an opportunity to fold in my own knowledge, to fold in uh, my own expertise within that, within that, that's not, not then just tell the students, um, the teachers in that room, everything that they now needed to know. But there was just those moments where I could then just latch on and, and then uh, perhaps confirm or deny, but also just fold in my knowledge. They were they were asking for, just as my students and lots of students I've observed within classrooms when routines like this are used. Um, it's you know, that, that moment where instead of just um, creating everything that the students must must know and just like giving them that information, actually it's the time, it's the most appropriate time to then fold in that that um, new knowledge to our students so that they've got a richer understanding because it's been it's been created the questions the thinking has been created by our students rather than just what we think they should and they should know yeah i think i think the key thing here is it's really stopping the spoon feeding yeah yeah stop just giving students what they need to know but give them the tools to find out for themselves at least. Absolutely, yeah. And question everything. I, you know what I, I should have said? One, one of the key goals of, of when we at Masada College started on our journey to creating cultures of thinking, we had um, a spoon-feeding culture that existed that pervaded really every element of the school. And whether you can, you know, ever say that you've eradicated that, it's it's not a program. Creating a culture of thinking uh, is not a program that you're going to do and be able to tick off some, you know, some mandated element. It's not a numeracy program or a literacy program that you'd have some very specific targets that now you've achieved what you set out to achieve. If, if in fact it were, 
two years later, after first venturing into creating a culture of thinking at Masada, we'd have been done two years later, but we're still um, creating a culture of thinking. We're still creating um, new opportunities for our students, but also for our teachers as well. And that's a really important part. It's 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 about all group members within the space, not just our students. Um, our teachers are very much a part of our culture. Yeah, now look, um, I'd, I'd like to try something here with you for this uh, episode, if you don't mind, Ryan. I thought... Um Oh, now I've got a list of uh, some of the some of the uh, thinking routine activities uh, in front of me. Um, if I if I were to throw some at you, would you be able to tell us what they are? Um, what's the uh, the reasoning behind it? So what what value does it give? Um, and then a potential um, a potential way you can use it um, in in a, in a classroom as well. How does that sound? Absolutely. I, uh, it's, it feels like a quiz show right now, but um, I'm up. <laughs> There won't be a million dollars at the end, but um, a, a, a very good thank you at least you'll get. Okay, all right then. Um, so now I've, I've picked out a few that I, I thought looked extremely interesting and I thought it can be used quite well. Um, now this three-two-one bridge, what is it? What's the value behind it, and how could you use it? Absolutely. Um, if you if you were to Google uh, thinking routines matrix, um, some of the routines that you're talking about there, Mark, Marco, are listed. Um, like I say, they're not, it's not an exhaustive list. And actually, these have been created by teachers all of the time around the world. And they've been added um, to the repertoire of thinking routines um, that have been used in classrooms. 321 Bridge is a, a really awesome routine. It's used really for introducing and exploring ideas. And the premise of this is, is that really you want um, some um, the students to notice that they have some prior knowledge, but by um, exploring ideas over the course of time, their thinking will have changed um, over some extended time throughout a unit. Uh, so great um, in terms of recognizing that learning does change and um, great if you, if you want to actually promote reflection um, within your classroom. It's it's not often so um, um, so used um, so so valued within classrooms. I see reflection. I think is a really um, important part of of learning. So to get to the to the heart of three two one bridge, what we're doing there is thinking about what we currently know, um, or we might have just read something about a particular topic. We ask um, some some questions about that particular. Um, that particular topic area, and and there's then um, some um, some period of time that elapses before we then um, go back to that thinking routine. So, our initial responses to a topic, you um, ask your students to write down, um, perhaps from prior knowledge or from something else I said that they've just read, three thoughts or ideas, two questions that they might have and one analogy that they can use at this time to, um, um, to really show their understanding at this particular point. You might ask them and there's no hard and fast rule, even though there's um, some guidelines that you'd be able to read as to how you actually implement these. It's really about thinking um, about how it works for you and for your learners. As I said, that would be at the start 
of the topic. And that takes a lot of unpacking the first time a lot of students um, will have will have used that, um, especially so, you know, they have to draw in um, some perhaps some understanding from an English lesson of what is an analogy and how that might work in a humanities classroom. But once you give them some examples, they they tend to do that really well in um, thinking about something much more creatively in an analogy form um, certainly gets to the heart of a particular topic area. And then, as I said, over time, we build new understanding and it might be a whole series of, of, of routines that are used over the course of time whatever you are using within your classroom to enable your students to learn new content. We go back um, to our initial thoughts, our initial responses, look back at our three thoughts and ideas and our two questions and our, our analogy. And then we think, now, what do we now understand? What are our new thoughts? What are our new questions? Because we're never going to have all of our questions answered. So providing an opportunity for new questions. And then what is our new analogy? And how is our analogy, um, is, how is that now changed? And how, does it, how is that now represented? But the three, two, one bridge element, the bridge element is really key here too, because what we're now able to do is look back and explain how the new responses connect or maybe quite uh, different to our initial responses, that opportunity for our students to reflect on how their thinking has, has changed over the course of time. Um, the, it's important to you know, reiterate, though, that the students and their initial thinking was not, it wasn't that it was right or wrong at that time. It was really just a starting point. And through the new learning that we've, the, that we've had, those new experiences, we've been able to take that thinking in new directions. Um, a really powerful thinking routine. And I would certainly recommend um, people using it um, in, in that way over the course of time uh, because it's really powerful. Okay. Um, are you ready for the next one, Ryan? Absolutely. How about the Connect Extend Challenge? That's it, one of the questions that I get quite frequently when, when working with teachers um, around the country is, you know, what is, what is the one routine? What is the one routine that you use in your classroom um, over and over? What do you think is the best routine? That's a difficult question to answer because yeah, being um, so passionate about these ideas, you know, it's like saying, what's your favorite lolly? Or what's your, you know, if you've got kids, what's your favorite child? It's really difficult to be able to answer those, <laughs> those types of questions. They become our babies, right? Um, teaching and learning is so um, um, a part of who we are. So if I, if I was to answer that question, I would say, I can't say because I, I really want you to think about what are the key thinking moves that are lying behind. And that's where I start. So if I, in, in the instances that I've used, see, think, wonder, if I want my students to describe, interpret and wonder, then see, think, wonder is for me. But if I don't want them to describe and interpret and wonder, then why do I want my students to do that? Why would I want them to use a thinking routine like see, think, wonder? And it's the same thing with Connect, Extend, Challenge. Connect, Extend, Challenge is a, is a really um, incredible, powerful routine. If I want my students um, to be able to synthesize and organize ideas, it allows them to connect with um, some prior knowledge. Here, 
I've got this new information, this new information in whatever form it might be provided. I actually provided some new information at the masterclass at the GTA conference. It was a video stimulus moving us forward from the initial photograph that I'd shared with the, the group of teachers there. So I've got this new information. I've showed you this video material. How does this video material connect with what you knew even before you saw that photograph? Or how did it connect with what you saw within that photograph that you raised and you noticed um, there? And um, as we move through the, um, uh, the routine, the stages of the routine, we're then able to move into the extend phase. How does this new information that we've been provided um, help you identify new um, ideas? How does it extend you in new directions? And then the challenge phase. There's actually a number of ways that you can think about the challenge. Or what? how do you want to challenge this information? In what ways are you finding it challenging? So you can raise some questions in that particular stage of the routine. I think um, it, it would be, it's worth noting at this stage, it, each of those examples that I've shared there with you, you've, you've seen the role of the teacher within there. Quite a number of teachers I've seen um, make the mistake of, of just seeing this as an activity. We don't tend to use that word activity, um, rather uh, thinking routines because we want to make thinking routinized within our classroom. So rather than saying to a student, okay, I've given you this new information and individually you're going to um, write down what you connect and you extend and you challenge, just work through at your own pace and do each of those things. What we want to do is stage and surface the connections, extensions and challenges so that others can then learn from one another. They can build on one another's ideas. They can challenge one another's ideas. They can see things that one another might not have actually noticed. So by staging the routines in that, in that very deliberate way, um, we get a much more powerful result so that actually – our students are not doing a connect, extend challenge or a see, think, wonder. Our students are developing the dispositions of what it, may, what it means to connect, extend, challenge. They become connectors of information. They, ex, they become extenders and challengers. They become seers and thinkers and wanderers. So quite different than an activity that we might ask them to do that that feels very much like a skill, a thinking skill that they might turn on or off because they've been asked to do so. Um, we really want to develop thinking dispositions within our students. Okay. Um, we will do one more, if that's okay. Please. I'm on for the million. Um, now, I'm going to let you have a guess of which one I'm, I'm, I'm going to say. It's got a quite an odd name to help students uh, really unpack a complex topic. Do you want to have a guess? Uh, well, so many have got odd names, and they're supposed to. I mean, they're, they're supposed to because they're, they're supposed to be catchphrase in nature. They help to, you know, jog the memory of the the uh, the teacher. Um, but it. <laughs> go ahead. I won't. I won't. I'm not going to play guess the answer in the teacher's head. <laughs> um, peeling the fruit. Okay, peeling the fruit. It's. Uh, it's certainly one of those routines that people are drawn to, as you said, because of the unusual name. Um, it, it, it may not be the one that you start with, um, but by all means, um, as, you're, as you're thinking about some of these ideas, 
it may be something that you you want to explore with your students yeah what can go wrong it might just promote some more thinking within your classroom so we all want that it's uh it's a really um simple routine in many ways but it's really a routine that can allow us to develop understanding of quite a complex topic where we really want our students if we're thinking about developing understanding, we want them to be able to capture the heart of a particular topic. And to be able to capture the heart, you need to go through a series of steps, a series of stages in order to explore a topic and have them think, have your students think about it in a number of different ways. And again, it can work with a whole range of different stimulus uh, materials. It could be um, some um, artwork, um, some a diagram. Um, it could be some poetry. It could be um, a piece of a reading, um, anything. I know we're talking about humanities here, but we, we, we should be drawing in lots of different stimulus materials. If we're really teaching for understanding rather than merely teaching for knowledge, then drawing in those, um, those aspects that we can engage our students with a whole range of different materials, I think is a good move that we can make. So uh, peeling the fruit um, you might be able to um, do a quick Google search for it because it'll be easier. Your listeners will will be able to follow what I'm saying if you're able to see something because often it's associated with a diagram. There's lots of examples of where student work is being shared online with peeling the fruit. So there's various different layers, just as we've got an, um, any type of um, apple analogy or, um, you know, you're thinking about kind of layers of the fruit. Layer one. When we've read something or observed something, a piece of artwork, um, read some poetry, whatever we're looking at there, we're thinking about getting under the skin. We're thinking about it's really just um, those aspects that are found within the text, within the artwork. It's at the surface level. It might be a particular quote or a detail that we might notice. It might be the aspects that we just can see there. There might be some examples that we're able to draw out. Layer two, when we're moving through the next stage of the thinking routine, is really getting more inside the, the fruit element, beyond the skin. We're thinking about that substance layer. We're thinking about um, explaining some of the contexts of those, those evidence pieces that we've been able to draw out, some of the quotes, and how um, we're thinking about um, the ways in which um, we might be able to connect some of the um, layer one details and quotes to perhaps what could be the big idea that is forming or the theme within um, the, um, the, the stimulus that we're sharing. So that when we are getting towards the core of the idea, thinking about that fruit analogy still, we're thinking about what are some of the big ideas and themes that are coming out of um, of that of that reading, that stimulus, so that we can really capture the heart of what's going on. There's a number of different other routines that allow um, us to capture the heart of ideas. And when I when I use these for the first time with students, these routines, it tends um, it tends to be quite tricky. It tends to be quite tricky when I use them with 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 teachers too. It seems so simple: capture the heart of an idea, but then 
you know, what is at the core of an idea? What is the big idea that's coming about? So we're thinking about moving from, uh, suppose, a, a more surface level understanding. You might think of that as the C stage of C, think, wonder, um, noticing the details, getting towards the think um, stage where we're thinking about the, the substance, asking a lot of questions, but getting to the core idea and how do those initial um, observations that we noticed connect to a big idea and um, core theme. Okay, now Ryan, just before we uh, we finish off, um, just to take a bit of a sidetrack and um, just for a bit of a general discussion, if you you know look on your bookshelf, on your nightstand, wherever it is, what are you currently reading? Wow, <laughs> you know I'm one of those people that it dips in and out of so many. Uh, books all at one time um and i i do that purposefully because i get really intrigued by different elements that i read and then i go off and read little bits little snippets um i i i really um if i, I presume your question is around teaching and learning so i'm not going to go delve into um probably a load of the fiction books that i'm reading too but I'm thinking about those core ideas that are directly related with Project Zero ideas um, or, or perhaps um, are indirectly, but they have some, um, some, some opportunity for greater understanding of, of some of the core Project Zero ideas. You know, so many ideas that are attributed to this idea of cultures of thinking. You alluded to the, you know, the confusion that sometimes arises out of um, exploring um, teaching and learning pedagogies. Um, I think it's it, it can be quite tricky when you're looking at a whole range of different ideas. So I, I read a lot of the work um, of the principal investigators at, at Harvard, um, people like Shari Tishman, who's interested in um, making thinking visible in slow looking in the in notion that we we really need to slow our learners down in order to speed them up in in many ways um i'm interested in the work of some of the founders um at, at project zero people like david perkins um who's um written books like making learning whole um these are the people that have got um core ideas that are at the heart of creating cultures of thinking and of course i keep i always go back to making things invisible and um creating cultures of thinking and ron richard's first book intellectual character uh because there's always something more that i can learn by reading um reading those and i have um the absolute privilege um of um leading teams of teachers in the harvard online creating cultures of thinking course so it's it's always in the back of my mind. I, I need to go back because people are noticing as they're reading those books different things that I was noticing. So I'm I'm going back as I'm I'm supporting and coaching teachers um, there, and um, and certainly um, it's 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 an it's an honour to be associated with the, with the team there. Um, I have literally in the last week or so been invited to be a fellow at the Project Zero Classroom um, Summer Institute, which has been held in, in July this year. Um, and to, as I said, to be associated is a, is a huge honour um, with, with some of these greats of education. Um, so to continue to read and learn from these people um, is a privilege. 
Well, thank you very, very much for your um, giving up your time, your valuable time, Ryan, to have a chat uh, to me for the podcast. You're absolutely welcome, Marco. It's a it's a pleasure. It really is. Um, I, I hope that you're able, your listeners are able to connect with a lot of the ideas that I've been sharing. Um, there's there's plenty of ways in which you can interact um, with the ideas beyond this. Um, so I'd encourage them to do so. Well, Ryan Gill, thank you. Thank you, Marco. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au